0: This is the day which the Lord hath made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Hello, Metro FM family. This is your brother Jonathan with DHL Ministries, Decisions, Habits, Lifestyle Ministries. Uh, The name alone of our ministry encourages change. And that is what discipleship does by walking with the Lord by reading his word, memorizing it, meditating, studying it, hearing it. It teaches you about the character of God and that invokes change in your life. We have decisions to make every day. It's not just the first decision to become a Christian, to follow Jesus Christ. It's our decisions every day. And we find that here in Matthew chapter 12. If you would turn to Matthew chapter 12, there are three points as an overview that I want to share with you here today. And if you accept these points, if you can see with eyes that see and ears that hear, you will be willing to change and transform your life by the power of God. It's eyes that see and ears that hear and a heart willing to obey. Matthew chapter 12, are you there? Good, good, good. So in Matthew chapter 12, it's another banter between religious leaders and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. And they're always trying to catch him. They're always trying to catch him on a technicality. And by the grace and mercy of God, even though he's very stern with them because they should know better, he's able to talk with them in a manner that he doesn't talk to Gentiles. He talks to the religious leaders this way because for generations, generations, they have had his living word. And they have taken it over time and slowly made it into shackles that hold people to a religious mandate instead of mercy and grace and liberty. So he talks to them over and over again throughout this chapter. But in Matthew chapter 12, verse seven, he confronts them because The disciples were eating corn on the Sabbath and he reminds them of David and his men as they ate the showbread from the temple when they were hungry. And the principle that is resounding is that he prefers mercy over sacrifice. He prefers mercy over sacrifice. In verse seven, Jesus confronts them and says, but if ye had known what this meaneth, that was an insult, They should definitely know what the verse means. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. Ye would not have condemned the guiltless. He's saying you're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong for accusing us of of breaking a technicality over the importance of satisfying the hunger. Now remember, God knows the intentions of the heart. He's not talking about because you wanted it. He's talking about because they needed it. They needed food. God's the provider, the food was there, and they partook of it. But he's confronting the deeper issue, the consistent pattern with the religious leaders to try to hold people to the letter of the law instead of the spirit of the law. And so Jesus here is the living word standing in front of them, telling them, and I'm sure not only the tone, but the power of the Holy Spirit convicted them, and yet they overrode it by their human will and desire to remain in this prestigious, position in their society. They couldn't see that he was the Messiah. If they saw it, they didn't want to acknowledge it because they would have to submit. So this is kind of like them denying him or proving that he's not who he says he is because he doesn't want to uphold the laws in the way that they interpret it. He doesn't want to support their position. And so it's an amazing thing you see over and over again in the scriptures. The point here, the first point is mercy is greater than sacrifice. Mercy is greater than sacrifice. Listen to the amplified version of that verse. But if you had only known what this statement means, I desire compassion for those in distress and not animal sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. The animal sacrifice was intended to teach them something and it became the thing. It was supposed to illustrate a principle and remind them of of God and their sacrifice unto God and Him being at the throne of their lives. And yet they turned the action into the God. So the second point is understanding the spirit of the law as I had mentioned. He goes on to continue to teach them throughout the chapter. Now their hearts are cold and hard, but remember these things were written for our sake in the future. That we could see this tendency, this human tendency to cling to rituals so that we can feel in control. Going to church on Sunday, feel in control. I'm a religious person. I'm better than the rest of everyone else who doesn't go to church. You see? You start to give place and prepare a place for the religion of worshiping, going to church. You mention it all the time. I go to church. I've had people talk to me and say, oh, are you a Christian? Yes, yes, I'm a Christian. Oh, I am too. And the very next expression out of their mouth is an explicitive of vulgarity. And I'm not saying this to judge them. I'm saying that they, they felt there was a common bond because we both go to church or that we're both called a Christian. And yet the third point we'll talk about later is the fruit of that connection. So understanding the spirit of the law in Matthew 12:10, it says in King James, and behold, there was a man which had his hand withered And they asked him saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath days? Again, trying to trick him that they might accuse him. But what they didn't see or wouldn't see, is this a merciful God that we all need his mercy. His mercy is new every day, praise God. And they couldn't or wouldn't see this. And so they tried to trick him with what they thought was bait. They were trying to bait him to disqualify him by having him say that he should heal this person's injury versus acknowledging the religious day. Think about it. If you think about it, it sounds a little preposterous to us because we have the Spirit of God in us. We have the revealed truth of the Word of God for the church age. Over time, the Spirit of God has been revealing what the Word of God means. We've heard mighty men preach these messages that really impacted us. They shared the revealed truth with us. And so we are in a different perspective today and they were then. And so when we see this, we go, why, why, why would they not want Jesus to heal someone? Doesn't make any sense. That's Jesus. Well, we know him as who he is. We celebrate him as our Messiah, but they were denying it or they couldn't see it because of the hardness of their hearts. Mm-hmm. And he's trying to emphasize to them this very important point. In Matthew 12, 10, the religious leaders ask Jesus whether it's lawful to heal on the Sabbath. And Jesus responds, not in words, but in action. He heals the man, showing he understands the true spirit of the law. Now, as Christians, we should seek to understand the spirit of God's law rather than just following the letter of the law. This means looking beyond the rules and regulations and seeking to understand the heart of God. And so when you become a Christian and you go through conversion and you come to the altar and you say the prayer and the tears are shed because you feel the relief, you feel the acceptance. You might even go right from there to the baptism, although many churches should educate about the importance of baptism because it's not a ritual that saves, it's something you want to willfully do to commit yourself to God and demonstrate that to others. But that's just the beginning, you know. It's it's like signing up for college and then going and applying for a job as a, a doctorate. Well, you, you have not achieved that. You get signed up for it, but you haven't entered into the process right now. Now, if you are entered into the process and show commitment and consistently are submitting yourself to that process of college learning, your family might start to boast and say, you're a doctor, my son, a doctor. Well, he's in school, but he's, he's, he's gonna be a doctor. So you see how this happens? So when you come to Christianity, now instantaneously there's a transaction of God's mercy that we can hardly understand, but it's written. And so we are saved. But it's a process of working out our salvation, meaning discovering it, submitting to His will, allowing Him to flow through us. He knows the end from the beginning, so we are saved when we accept Him as our personal Lord and Savior. But to establish or prove or demonstrate or even become aware that that transaction has taken place, we submit to discipleship. And as we learn and grow, we make decisions. And again, God knows the end from the beginning. So we can celebrate when that conversion seems to take place through confession and through obedience and through repentance. But the actuality of it, the manifestation of it, the, the, the demonstration of it is through discipleship. The decisions we make the mistakes we make and then we repent and then we ask forgiveness and then we move on. And so at the end of our lives, whenever that is, as we breathe breathe our last breath, we know without a doubt that death has no sting on us because we've lived, we've practiced, we've made mistakes, we've gotten up, we've asked forgiveness. We've been in that collegiate or that educational, that discipleship process. So without a doubt, without a doubt at that time, we know we are saved. And so the importance of fruitfulness in our life is the third and final point today. Matthew 12, 33 in the Amplified says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is recognized and judged by its fruit. So what it's saying is, is that, you know, there's decisions to be made, right? Decisions have its lifestyle. There are decisions you have to make. To not make a decision is to make a decision. If I decide, if I, if I say I'm not, I, I don't know whether I'm going to cross the street or not, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I want to cross the street. Traffic's busy. I, I'm, not, I'm just going to, I don't know. I'm not, I don't want to make a decision right now. Well, by not deciding to cross the street, you've decided to not cross the street, right? You're still standing on the curb. Your decision's demonstrated. So we have to make decisions as we go through Christianity, as the Word of God confronts us, as the Spirit of God teaches us. Jesus teaches that we will be recognized and judged by our fruit. As Christians, it's important that we bear good fruit. Make a decision. Practice righteousness. Make a decision. Turn away from unrighteousness or sin. Make a decision. We have to live a life that's pleasing to God and showing the love of Christ to others. This includes sharing the gospel and serving others and living a life of integrity and holiness. It's both a decision and a learning process. You know, you decide to become a doctor. Well, there's eight years at least of schooling. It's intense, it's stressful, there are oral boards, there are physical exams you gotta demonstrate. There's a lot of things. You make that decision your freshman year. By the sophomore year, you're just learning the basics of college, then you're junior and senior year you're just fulfilling your bachelor degree but then you get into more specific programs that start to take shape it starts to show that you're in a doctorate training program you're going to be an md and as you continue on there are times where you want to quit and you choose not to you're already invested you've already decided so you make decisions along with that commitment and christianity is similar In the beginning, you make a decision, you sign up, but now you're on the campus, you're with other believers. You've got to enroll, you've got to get around them and learn the fundamentals and the basics of Christianity. As you go forth, and, and develop a greater understanding of the basics of this discipleship, of living as a Christian, then you enter into more specific areas of studies. Maybe one year you're doing study, another year you're doing word finding, another year you're doing meditation, and, or some people do it all throughout the year, however the Lord leads you. But you become more rounded off, more mature. You know, when you go to someone who's got their master's degree and they're on campus, they're quite serious. They've got an established routine. They're maximizing their time. They know how to study. They're focused, they're engaged in life, but they're still enrolled. You can tell that they're a master's student or they're a PhD student. They've got all their ducks in a row. All that little childish stuff is by the wayside. They've demonstrated this commitment. So as we reflect on Matthew chapter 12, let us remember the importance of showing mercy and compassion to others, the importance of seeking to understand the spirit of God's law, and the importance of bearing good fruit in our lives. And I hope that we strive to live a life that is pleasing to God and brings joy to his name, his holy name, right? When you're reading the word of God, the reason it's so refreshing when you're having a sermon shared with you is it's a full course meal and you feel the call to decision you feel the call to action you feel the conviction where you've gone astray and allowed religion to come in and shape who you are as a Christian well you're not alone all of us have been down that road the key is right now recognizing that that has taken place and make different decisions to turn from those activities or those formal things I mean, home groups, home Bible study groups can be so instrumental in allowing us to make this personal. You know, when you're in a congregation of 500 or 1,000 or more people, it doesn't feel very personal. You might say hi five minutes before and five minutes after the sermon, but you don't feel connected, right? Not like that. When you spend three or four hours in someone's home and you break bread and get to know their family and have some time of fellowship and then uh, sing songs praising God and share a message of the word and hear the response of the group and then close in amazing prayer and then spend more time in fellowship, well, that connects you. And that makes living this life real. All the more if you're in close proximity and doing things together or seeing each other around town. So there's a reason why this structure of the first church is making a comeback. It's not the size of the building or the congregation. Well, I mean, at times around the world, it's not even the, the formal credentials of the pastor. What do you see? Do you see a pastor? They have a pastor's heart, are they learning? Are they growing? Are they submitting to God? Some places don't have a college you can go to to get some paper, but are they learning? And that's where that's where it came in to be um, an ordained pastor was where an official group would would acknowledge you that you were indeed called to be a pastor and indeed qualified to be a pastor. It wasn't so much that you had all the credits, that you paid all the tuition. You know, not everybody has that opportunity or is even called to that regiment of training. In this day and age, it just takes One who has uh, a reputation and has shown fruit in their life of being a pastor to say that another is a pastor and to be accountable one to another. Well, if you're here and you've heard all of this and you feel conviction in your heart or you're not sure where you are with the Lord, we like to offer a very simple way to get in to a conversation with God. And it's through the ABCs. A, admitting you're a sinner. That's the very first thing. Sin means missing the mark. God has a plan for our lives, but we're born in sin going away from God. And understanding that and acknowledging that we didn't have to be taught to be bad. We did bad all by ourselves. And many times you're sitting here listening to this and you're thinking, I didn't realize how evil I could be. I can't believe I treated a person that way or a relationship that way but that's the human nature, hello. So admitting that we're born on that trajectory away from God is the first step, that we are sinners, we're people who sin and do things against God. Be believing means to trust and rely upon him. Now Jesus died for your sin. He laid down his innocent life for our penalty and he did it willfully of his own free volition. And then he demonstrated victory over death by rising on the third day. As much as he won these different discussions with religious leaders, he won the ultimate judgment upon him because it was unjust. And he did it for us. So when we believe and trust and rely upon his sacrifice and understand what he has done for us, that's letter B. And letter C is to confess. Not just everything to God, which will be an ongoing thing, as the spirit convicts. But confessing to other people, the friends and family that you have, I've decided to follow Jesus. You decided that last year, I understand, but I'm asking you to help me. I I fell off, but now I'm back on. I know he died for me. I know I'm a sinner and I need his saving grace. Can you support me in this? You ask your friends and family to support you and then get in with a good group of seriously committed, disciples of the Lord and grow in discipleship. Allow God's forgiveness today over your lives. Produce fruit that demonstrates your connection with him and be merciful. Amen. We'll talk again. We'll be here on Wednesday night and also next Sunday. So thank you for tuning in. Pray for Metro FM all their staff and families. We all need prayer, but they definitely afford us this beautiful opportunity to share with you twice a week. So please pray for them and uh, may God bless you all richly. I pray in Jesus name. Amen.